Katya, in the Teenage Brain, a neuroscientist survival guide to raising adolescents and young adults, a book by Amy Ellis-Nutt and neuroscientist Dr. Francis Jensen's central argument there is that the teen brain isn't an adult brain with less miles on it. The Mm -hmm. teenage years encompass um, vitally important states of brain development full of unique vulnerabilities and exceptional strengths. So what do we now understand about the teenage brain and its development Mm -hmm. versus how it's been thought of for so Mm -hmm. long before? What's what's changed? Well, generally speaking, we've always kind of looked at the age of five being like the major neurodevelopmental milestone marker, right? So that's why there was always there was always this piece of advice where you need to teach your kids things before they hit five, because once they're five onwards, their brains kind of fully matured. And so learning becomes more difficult. But what we understand now is that that's not entirely true. So 90% of the human brain is fully formed by the age of five. So absolutely true in that regard. And these areas sort of encompass sort of the being you know sort of visual it's sort of like this portion so sort of the back all the way up to the side um, of your brain and that controls things like your speech functions your motor skills you know so your basic sort of cognitive skills so all of those things are fully solidified or fully formed by the time you're the age of five but the part of the human brain which is referred to as sort of what i call the part that makes us functional adults so it controls emotional regulation right being able to understand um how to process complex emotions, how to respond to these emotions um, when you're faced with situations, knowing how to uh, um, think about the long-term consequences of things and not just what's happening in front of you, the ability to organize and uh, organize yourself organize yourself and plan. All the things that make us reasonable and rational adults is contained in one part of the brain, which we call the prefrontal cortex, so mm. the PFC, which is basically just this region, right? Right in the front. And that part of the brain will continue to mature very, very, very slowly until you're 28 years old. And so when you are um, dealing with teenagers who are technically about 50% developed in that region of the brain, and you're trying to reason with them or communicate with them like you would someone who's of the same age, you're actually not, um, it's not an effective way of communicating because ultimately, like it's like the article said, they aren't just uh, adult brains with less mileage. They are brains that are not fully developed to the same level as adults are. Okay, so that's, I, I remember listening to a sort of podcast about, you know, it's like trying to sort of talk to a teen is like negotiating with a terrorist. And it wasn't <laughs> necessarily, this is not casting aspersions on mm. gorgeous teens mm. um, who are finding their way. I just want to say that, but it's more about what is happening chemically as well. So can you mm-hmm. walk us through a little bit about this prefrontal mm. cortex, mm-hmm. the development, but also... Mm. Um, how that works in correlation with you know things like um, puberty and all those things that start sort of what's the chemical you know bomb that's sort of being oh, built goodness. in there? It's basically I, I remember reading an article which said that sort of like ch- individuals or, or adolescents are kind of going through uh, changes chemically which are akin to what was happening when you're born. Like it's just sort of like this. I hate to say catastrophic, but there's these major changes happening physiologically. And you're absolutely right. From a hormonal perspective, that's the most notable, right? So when a, when a teenager or when a child is going through puberty, their, their, their body is going through all of these changes and they're release, you know, they're, they're, they're releasing and sort of underproducing all of these hormones at different stages of their development. And all of these hormones and chemicals have an impact on the way that our brain functions. It has an impact on whether or not our brain is releasing things like 
like cortisol, which is our stress hormone, things like adrenaline, right? So that's why you might have cases where, you know, teenagers, especially boys, might be a lot more sort of aggressive or agitated over the littlest things. And that's because there are all of these chemical changes that are happening, which are um, part of the growing process, right? Um, if you have a teenage girl, you will be introduced to the concept of sort of like really, really significant mood swings, right? Um, and around sort of their time when they're having their period or their puberty. And that's, again, attributed to this. So is this, are these things that are not happening to adults? No, but these are things that are a lot more stable and less kind of... Um, what's the word I'm going for? It fluctuates a lot less when you are an adult, when sort of these functions have kind of come down. So even though these are things that are happening in the body, it does affect the what we call the neurochemistry of the brain. So absolutely, teenagers are not just dealing with the fact that they haven't learned certain skills because of how their brain is developing, but they're also dealing with an influx of all of these um, hormones, which changes sort of their mood patterns and their thinking as Is it well. because when we're older... I don't know much about the prefrontal cortex uh, cortex oh. bit, but is it because we're more logical as we grow older? <laughs> you know, and then <laughs> I'm looking at you and you're saying <laughs> more logical as we go, as if you, there's a wise development. No, exactly, and then <laughs> I'm like, because I'm not the most logical person right. most of the time, yeah. but I don't get as emotional about like I, uh, yeah. I, I don't. Somebody doesn't like me. Who cares? You know, yeah, it, it doesn't yeah. affect me as much. Yeah. What is it about age that makes that difference? It, like once it's fully developed, do we just care less? I mean, I think it's it's a combination of the both, right? So on the on the PFC standpoint, you are able to one regulate emotions a little bit better. So something that's not so great happening to you would not cause you to have a sharp incline in your negative mood, for example, because your brain is a lot better at processing emotions because oh. you are thinking about the long term impact. Like, okay, this person said something nasty about me. It's not really going to affect the rest of my life because this person is not really important or whatever that. Type of thinking that you do teenagers might not have that type of forward thinking the world is ending kind of thing right Everything the world is ending yeah. right so on the from the pfc perspective that's kind of what's happening right and then also they're not really able to to when i say regulate kind of keep the emotions um to a point where um i know what is socially acceptable to do now versus i'm so upset i need to kind of explode right so that's kind of one thing that's happening but at the same time there's also life experience right we know that the world is not ending because, like I've said before, you live, you've lived through it, mm. right? So you've kind of had moments where you've had altercations with friends and you were able to live past that day and make new friends and carry on. But for teenagers, they're living through it most of the time for the first time. Mm. So their brain does not know that there is um, a, a future beyond that. Because remember, the brain is basically a computer. It learns through the data or the information that we feed it. And if it can recall the information that's been stored as well. Yeah, it's a yes, different matter. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So that's why it's so important. And I think, you know, it kind of touches on previous topics where we've talked about exposure, right? If kids are not being given the exposure or what, what I kind of call like when certain parents try to bubble wrap their kids a little bit too much um, with, with negativity. Like I remember growing up, like I'd have incidences where I'd go to like a birthday party and the parents would come up to me and tell me, um, you don't win, okay? Because we don't want the birthday girl or the birthday boy to be upset. So they were always kind of, I remember, I remember having these memories right, when I was a kid. Yeah. And so I think that this is all part of us being able to go, you know what, we're world's not going to fall apart. Everything's going to be fine. So it's kind of a bit of both. Well, it's interesting because we, we need to learn to lose as much as we need to yeah. learn to succeed and learn yes. to be meh. 
I mean, that's, yeah, yeah, that's exactly. not yeah. possible. Did you go up yeah. to the parents and say, well, life's tough. <laughs> You're going to have to learn to do it sometime. You didn't do that. Right? Gosh, I think I must have been like six years old or so. I didn't really understand, right, right. Um, why it was happening. But I just remember that, you know, I just remember it going in my <clears throat> in my head because I remember thinking like, you know, well, kids, you go to birthday parties, like you just want to win all the games mm-hmm. and yet to be told by an adult that it was not a nice thing to do because you're supposed to let the birthday person win. How did that, you know, make you feel like pulling back like I can see in your face as this sort of like oh like it's like it made you feel dirty or bad or just wrong yeah I I think for me like I remember it having very different responses for me and like the kids that were around me like for me I felt bad like I felt like I was being a bad friend or a bad kid because I didn't seem to know that this was what you were supposed to do so I felt bad for the fact that I wanted to win but I did remember having um, friends in my group who were who were genuinely upset because they felt like you know they weren't being even given the chance to win at these games so they felt it was quite unfair Um, so I think there were quite different emotions but yeah but for me I was just like oh my gosh I'm such a bad friend I didn't know you're not supposed to do this and I started thinking about all the other birthday parties where I was winning things and how I was ups- how the birthday person must have been so upset um so yeah so that was kind of upsetting <laughs> okay we're gonna move on to uh, the next thing and this is the idea behind um sort of what is rude so um, what is rude yeah. when I was recovering from shingles um mm. I watched a lot of Scandi series, <laughs> which had a lot of teen or young adult characters yes. in there. And I know it's TV land, right? But mm. I do know many parents like that, um, whether mm. they're from France or, or, or Denmark or Finnish, um, who are like the ones portrayed in the sense yeah. that they didn't bat an eyelid really about how their kids spoke to them. Yep, yep. Um, and I just want to touch, because we're talking about rude today, um, mm-hmm. touch base with, with the idea of, first of all, I think... Um, Let's tackle culture. You know, yeah. uh, it's a big part of what's acceptable and what isn't. But are there any guidelines on, on, on or if a thing exists like that, yeah. are there any guidelines on Ooh. what sort of normal what teen is. behavior versus mm. rude? Mm-mm. I mean, I think that that's, I think culture, it plays such a big role in that definition, right? Um, I mean, I know that with Asian parenting, we're a lot more particular about that concept of being uh, respectable and not being rude and kind of being a certain way with your elders. Those are all things that I think with Asian culture is definitely a lot more kind of strict um, as compared to in sort of Western cultures, um, where they're a lot more able to kind of speak back, uh, speak up and talk back to their parents. Mm-hmm. Um, but with regards to a guideline, I feel like it's really like person to person. But when I think about, like you said, problematic behavior, mm-hmm. in, the, in the clinical world, we always look at whether the behaviors are impacting functioning. Right. Right. So say, for example, if a child is so disrespectful that he's getting into trouble everywhere he goes with authority figures, you know, with people at school, Mm. with friends, with parents, um, to the point where it's pretty difficult for him to function day to day or him or her, sorry, Mm. um, to function day to day because he's constant. They're get, they're constantly getting into trouble and reprimanded. That's that would be a problem. Right. If they are so sort of self-entitled if you will um that they don't feel that they feel the world should revolve around them they don't respond well to losing or being told no or things like that then that's also dysfunctional so that's generally the guideline and in fact there are certain conditions in the dsm-5 or like the psych manual um 
that talks about the um, sort of the, cor- the um, certain conditions which we call sort of conduct disorders or mm-hmm. conduct uh, issues, um, which look at things like defiance and issues with authority and things like that. So um, there are sort of a, there is a parameter of behaviors which right. we call problematic, but right. I feel like what falls under rude is really tricky culture to culture. Okay, so let's stick with culture to culture right here and something mm. you said earlier, which mm. was, you know, the prefrontal cortex mm-hmm. at that age. And I have to say, honestly, when you're pregnant, perimenopausal, menopausal, <laughs> or yeah. driving on the roads, you don't necessarily yeah. as an adult know how to manage your emotions. Okay, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. so I just want to put that in there. But <laughs> um you were saying earlier that that's you know it's about sort of finding that balance and seeing sort of the bigger yeah. longer picture yeah. um and we talked about the fact that culture plays a big part but mm. you know having a rude teenager seems to be more common in western societies than asia mm. so why is it that asian mm. kids are more able to be able to control their emotions mm. better mm. is that the case is it because of the the punishment that comes from it or is there a different way that they are able to sort of learn societal Mm. acceptable behaviors Mm. what we know about the prefrontal cortex is that yes it does fully mature at the age of 28 but the maturation process is affected by life experience it's from what they learn from the world around them right um so ultimately whether or not if we were to compare Asian teens or sort of teens who are raised in more strict households versus teens who are raised in more liberal households, the the, the difference would be sort of the parenting that they're being exposed to. So can I, can I just stop you right there just for everyone mm. listening right now? It's mm. our fault as parents, guys. <laughs> Seriously, that's, that's what they're picking up on, isn't it? How we yeah. are is what they are learning. Exactly. So it's basically how we are, the rules that we put in place, how, what we expect out of them are what they are going to learn. And when that 28 sort of years old window kind of comes to an end, then we're saying that learning new skills or learning new ways of thinking are a lot harder than it was within that window. Right. So if so to give a simpler example, kids who are raised in stricter households would not be able to get away with being disrespectful or rude because there would be a consequence, right? Kids who are raised in more liberal households aren't given that consequence. And so the brain would go, okay, if I did it this way in a strict household, it's bad. But if I do it this way in a household where there's no reprimand or there's no consequence, it's okay, right? So, yeah. So, so are you saying that basically boundaries help Mm. children Mm -hmm. regulate? Mm -hmm. I'm a huge fan of boundaries. I'm a huge fan of boundaries. Um, Whether or I mean, I don't agree with sort of the extreme type of parenting where kids are getting, sorry, smacked and things like that. Like baby was a lot more accepted growing up in our generation. But, you know, boundaries are extremely important. I tell parents it is a huge misconception that when we're talking about sort of what we call the new age parenting that a lot of people refer to, where you're giving kids the chance to explain themselves and you're justifying your decisions with your kids. Mm. It does not mean that we're eliminating boundaries and rules and discipline with our children. Those things need to exist because um, if they're learning it from us, right? So mm. if we're not teaching them those things and we're not telling them what is acceptable and not, then you're going, to be, you're going to be raising a generation that does not know how to respond to those things in the real world, right? So I, I tell my clients all the time, it's like the rules and regulations or the boundaries that you instill in your household are preparing your kids for the laws that are out there. 
right? Mm -hmm. So if your kid doesn't feel like I need to respond to you because I don't like it, how are they going to respond to the legal system? How are they going to respond to police officers and things like that in the real world? So basically, if mm. let's say the first thing you do is break out the the, the rotan or whatever, it is, right? because <laughs> yeah. you wanted to show that that is the most extreme thing that can mm. happen to you, mm. you should mm. the boundaries should be before that because. If mm. you use a rotan too often, in a way, yes. then yes. Th- there's no effect, right? Precisely. If you are using it as if you're bringing out the extreme twenty four seven, right? If you're if you're resorting to those type of methods all the time, then they're gonna be like, so what? Let's right? see what I, what else I can get away with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I feel that you know it is it is definitely required one hundred percent to ensure that there is some type of boundary and rules and you know that sort of thing. You know you don't need to go down the corporal physical punishment if that's not what you believe in, right? And that's not something that you want to instill. And I'm and I'm good with that. But I think like you know um, consequences, incentives, things like that. Those are all things that should be a part of how um, you parent. Um, and so if you have a child who has been allowed to get away with things right their brain the life experience that their brain is gaining from that is that this is okay so as a parent you need to remember what type of message are you sending to your child yeah, the boundaries right? the accountability ba- and yeah yeah yep exactly yeah. and just a note on that sort of the sort of the the whacking mm. i feel mm. that you've lost you've lost the lesson when mm-hmm. you have to, when you get to the point of needing to hit, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, I've You're- been pushed to that point before, where mm-hmm. I have literally physically had to walk away because I'm mm-hmm. so frustrated, so overwhelmed, so tired, and I've got this, you know, monster gremlin in front of me that all I want to do is just, ah! you know, yeah. but you hold yeah. back. Um, but on the other, on another note, just go to your room or sit in the corner. That's like way too lean, lenient, isn't it? I think that doesn't work. Yeah. Yeah, so here's the thing, right? So this is a little trick that I tell parents is that there are basically three functions of child behavior, right? If you exclude the sensory bit, which affects more special needs children, but there are three sort of main functions of, ch- of child behavior. One is attention seeking, right? So they're doing it because they want some type of attention mm-hmm. from you. Two, they're doing it for avoidance to get out of something. And three is what we call need for tangibles. So they're doing it because they want something physical, whether they're a device or food or something sort of physical, right? And so... When you are trying to figure out what disciplinary action to sort of, you know, give to your child, you have to first figure out which of the three behaviors they're executing. Because if you are doing something that's the that is sort of um, in line with what they're trying to do, you lose the effect. So, like this, go to your room example. It reminds me of a client that I worked with where the son would constantly throw a temper tantrum and sort of play up whenever it was homework time. So they'd all sit at the dinner table and do homework and he'd always have a meltdown. And so mom and dad would send him to his room as a consequence for the bad behavior. But notice how he ended, what he was playing up about was to avoid doing his homework. And the punishment allowed him to avoid doing right. his homework. You made it so, worse. Oh, parents, we got to be smarter with yeah. this. Okay, so let me, let yeah. me just stop you here and, and sort of let's, let's move on to talk mm. about, as, as you said, that the three needs that a child is trying mm-hmm. to get out of you or the environment with their mm-hmm. behavior. Mm-hmm. What is behind rude then? You know, smart mouthing, talking back, mm. swearing, lack of manners. It, mm. You know, it can come off as rude. It is rude. Mm-hmm. It's seen mm-hmm. as disrespectful, oftentimes punishable. Um, mm-hmm. Unfortunately, I don't agree with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, in my experience, parents tend to blame the TV and bad friends and not realize that actually we are part of the problem yes. massively. Yes. So if we put rude, rude aside or the, mm. the, the label rude, mm. what behavior is happening when they're like effing and blinding or talking back? 
Mm-hmm. Well, I think it really depends on sort of what the trigger is, right? So that's something. This is where parents have to kind of always be very aware about what their child is doing and where their child is coming from. So, say for example, if it's if you do have, you know, if you want to say that you don't cuss out and you don't do anything in your household and your kids are one hundred percent learning this from the TV and their friends, then it could very well just be also attention seeking. They've seen something happen in a different environment that gains some type of response, mm-hmm. and then they're. Trying it out in their environment to see if the results are replicated, right? So I have a family friend who was just telling me the other day that she's gotten. Uh, so she, so my my mom's friend, she's got grandkids now, and she's really, really against her grandkids watching certain movies where the kids are allowed to kind of be rude to their grandparents mm-hmm. and stick their tongue out and be like no and kind of stomp off, um, because she started seeing her ki- her grandkids do the same mm-hmm. thing. Right. So it's about the fact that they are learning and they've seen an environment or an example where it's worked. Right, so they might be doing it for attention-seeking purposes because they're replicating something they've seen. Right, but it could also be the fact that maybe at some point when they were more uh, rude or aggressive or whatever it is. Out of shock, maybe a parent backed off, and the parent went, "Okay, okay, you can, you can do this." The brain goes, "Tada!" You know, um, and it will continue to do that until such a time where you where you stop. Right, so yeah. Okay, so I just wanted to, to to sort of interject here and and just go. This is obviously not conscious, though. No, right. So because I think you know, with parents, when you're dealing with a rude child, a child that's acting out, it's it's mm. it. The parents' tendency is to go, "Why are they doing this to me? Mm. Why are they doing this to me now? <laughs> why, why are they doing this to me here?" But mm. it's and 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 sort of like I understand where you're going with this, but it's not mm. really. The child goes, "I watched that movie. It worked." It's not like you know. Yeah. What was that? Yeah. You know, home, home alone, home alone kind of yeah. where you know the strategies are all laid out. Yeah. So it's not like that, right? It's, it's a subconscious I mean, thing. I mean, I think definitely for the younger, younger ones, it's a subconscious thing. When we're dealing with teenagers, there might be a little bit more kind of planning involved. Manipulation. Oh, yeah. right? yeah. yeah. okay. A little bit more because they're now a lot more aware, right, of like certain things and certain um, certain strategies that might have worked, right? But that being said. What you said earlier, why are they doing this to me? Is something that so many of my parents or my clients' parents uh, say to me, and that's what I try to reinforce: is that they're not doing this to you in a manip, like a you know, I'm attacking you sort of way. Mm-hmm. They're doing it to get. They're doing it. Um, you know, there's a purpose behind it. They're doing it to to get what they want. Means. Yes, to get what they want. Whether yeah. it's to get out of something, to upset you because you upset them, right? There's always sort of a function to it. It's not because they're attacking. You directly. Um, once they've attained that function, they won't. They won't continue. You know. So, so how are you? On earth are you supposed to figure it out? Though you know, you've come home. The kids yeah. come home from school. Yeah. And you say hi. How was your day? And it's like You know, bam, bam, bam. The door slam. So yeah. you know, it's a bit like. You t- t- to stand there and go now I wonder what could have triggered that kid normally it's like yeah. oh to bleed yeah. with you you know yeah, yeah. and you know it, it's it's completely normal for parents to be in that spot right because a lot of times there are there are triggers that are not exactly apparent right it could have happened at school it could be something from 10 weeks ago that you don't even remember you did right and so that's why if your child is having a you know having a bit of a rude phase or whatever mm-hmm. it is right you don't You know, if you aren't a hundred percent certain why it is that they're behaving that way, then 
explain to them that that type of talk is not acceptable and I get that you're upset but I really won't accept you speaking to me that way that's really not cool right and then when they've calmed down you can go like okay so what was that about earlier right I mean like okay you know, so, so bottom line is parents stop asking why <laughs> what the problem is just go I'm dealing with this situation right now and um and mm. and that's it mm. um but at a point right just a quick one if they're yelling at you and you're upset yeah. and they're being rude to you and yeah. then you're trying to discipline them or you're trying to give them space, do you yell back? Does that make things worse? And then the next thing, there's just a back and forth, right? Well, I mean, like I said, I think parents are human. Like to expect you to kind of sit through that and just be like, you know, calm is really, really challenging, right? So parents do often yell back, right? But I, like I said, remember the message that you're sending to your kids. If you, know, if you are the kind of person where when you're angry, you're yelling, when you're angry, you're throwing things, that is setting the precedence for them that when I'm angry, I'm allowed this to This is how yell. I express it, yeah. yeah. I tell you, the worst thing to do though is ever is, is have the giggles. So when I'm tired sometimes, <laughs> you know, everyone knows yeah, yeah. Right? I get sort of uncontrollable giggles. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I've had to deal with a couple of situations where I'm just shouted at for no reason. And because it's like, I, you know, it's like, random i don't even understand what's going on here you know mm. i thought everything is fine that i actually struggle to stop showing that i'm laughing and then of yeah. course the argument and the yelling becomes about i'm not really caring and look yeah. i'm laughing which is like awful because i don't mean it but it's just like you know when you get caught off guard so i think yelling yeah. and talking back to your kid is on one level okay you can salvage that but when they think you're laughing at them yeah <laughs> don't ever do that parents yeah yeah that's a little bit difficult to explain away yeah, when you're laughing yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly what is going on with that honestly i've come close to that so okay um yeah. all right so um so the best thing we as parents can can kind of do when we're confronted with rude is just stop and try and sort of like find a way to neutralize whatever's going on yeah. They need to understand first and foremost that that is not acceptable, right? Mm -hmm. That that is not something that is acceptable in your household and that you won't tolerate it. Um, but it doesn't mean that you're not in a position to try to understand why it's happening, right? So that's where I mean it's kind of a balance between the sort of strict um, disciplinarian parenting that we grew up with where it was just like, no, yeah. versus what we're trying to encourage now, which is to for parents to have open channels of communication okay. with their kids. So that's kind of a middle ground. So like, you she know, if a child's balance. being... Yeah. Balance, <laughs> yeah, you know? laughing at balance. Okay, yeah. so let's let's talk about um, what else might Rude be telling us. So mm. aside from kind of the angst that's synonymous with growing up, the brain mm. developing, and so on, behaviors can present when there's an underlying problem that hasn't yes. been noticed or addressed. That's a bigger problem than just a need not being met. Like I want my iPad, I don't want to do yeah. homework, or yeah. perhaps I don't want to do homework for a reason, a deeper yeah. reason, right? Yes. So could you talk talk to us about that? So, you know, we talked a lot, you know, we talked earlier about how, you know, when the PFC is growing, the brain's not able to process what we call complex emotions, right? So when you're when you have a young child, there's only basically four human emotions that they're able to process, which is happy, scared, sad, and angry, right? Um, and so, so long as anything falls neatly within those four, they're quite happy to deal with it or quite able to deal with it. But when you have very complex things, like if kids are being bullied, um, or if their parents are getting a divorce or if there's been some type of you know messiness going on in their environment their brains almost like cannot compute right mm -hmm. they don't know kind of how to deal with it because it doesn't fit neatly into one of those four boxes 
And that's when behavior becomes a very, very telling sign. Um, so like you mentioned earlier, Asha, it's like, you know, if your kid is starting to struggle in school because of other kids or because they're struggling with a learning issue and they're not getting things in school, these are things where you would see avoidance kind of kick up. I don't want to go to school. I don't want to do my homework. I, you know, have um, aches and pains leading up to like tests and things like that. Um, that is an indication that there is a deeper level. I mean, yes, it's linked to avoidance, right? So one of the three behaviors, mm -hmm. but the reason behind the avoidance might be more significant. Right. So um, looking out for behavior changes is one of the first things that we tell parents to do when we're dealing with children who have issues, whether or not <clears throat> if the child used to be able to be quite happy-go-lucky and then all of a sudden you're seeing all of these <clears throat> you know, behavior changes, they're being super rude and disrespectful, then that is an, that is a, uh, opportunity where you should go okay is this something that is just teen angst right or is this a pattern that i'm seeing it's related to whenever he's gone to school or it's whenever homework time is happening or whenever um a certain person in my family is here he becomes extra challenging so these are the types of questions you've got to need to ask yourself so you need to as a parent, you need to be like a detective in many ways. Yes. Yeah. Or, or take it as a barometer. It, it's really interesting because <laughs> my, my grandmother once said to me, it's, mm. it's not about what's being said, it's the volume. So oh. what she meant by that is, I love you, can, it can be, you know, um, the words, or I mm. hate you, they're just the words, but it's, mm. it, you're listening to the volume or, or the sort of the, the sense intensity of what that, is. intensity mm -hmm. is the right word, right. sorry, yes, mm -hmm. but, mm -hmm. um, and pay attention to that and that mm. will help you kind of try and figure mm. stuff out. I know that, you know, making it, talking about it this way could, add, you know, tell parents that they kind of have to read into everything which is yeah, which yeah. Is not exactly. oh no 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 I'm talking about yeah. like you know just once yeah. in a while when it looks yeah. like it's a bit more serious because <laughs> parents yeah. could be like yeah. the whole time like what is he like the whole time they're just trying to figure out their kid but you know yeah. the kid's just yeah. like I sometimes remove myself by just going, I've got to go to a Lucas in a house, you know, um, you know, no one stops anyone needing to go to Lou. So then mm -hmm. I remove myself from sort of the situation long enough for me to kind of recompose myself. Yes. Because it's never easy to deal with things when you're in the heat of the moment, right? Um, but when you're dealing with a teenager, that capability is a lot, you know, they're a lot worse off. They're not as good in that area as we are, right? So <clears throat> remember that if you are reacting so negatively to something, you again are communicating to them that that is what you are what is acceptable for them right so. well it's also interesting like we get triggered by it and then we get in a flat but we're mm -hmm. not regulating our own emotions and yet we're expecting this kid to behave better and it yet has. we're going off the deep end and wanting to whack them on the bum for it precisely Completely right Completely hypocritical so, yeah so all parents do unto your child what you would like um you know do what unto, how do you would unto, like them to be. yeah yeah okay yeah. all right so um i guess if we're dealing with a kid whose behavior is unsavory, mm. <laughs> be it the swearing or the, the bad manners at table or not coming down to dinner mm. on time, whatever it is, kids are like mm. sponges. They mirror mm. us in ways that we really wish they didn't somehow. Right? Yep. Um, especially now with the additional isolation and boredom and stress that comes with COVID and online school and lockdowns. Yeah. Yeah. How do we teach kids <clears throat> who are not young, so they're teens, right? So they've mm. already got an established strategies already that, perhaps aren't working how yeah. do we teach kids to have boundaries and uphold them confidently not rudely even if that's saying no to us mm. i you know start with you right so start with you so start with all of the things start with your boundaries right and then teach that to them right teach them that like okay so this is something that 
I'm not going to accept, right? What is something that mommy does or something that we're doing that you find really difficult to do, right? Have conversations with your kids about boundaries, right? Like you said, you want them to be able to understand that there are things that they really, really consider important and they should be able to stand up for them. But at the same time, <clears throat> to ensure that we're not encouraging an environment where they get away with everything, mm. they need to understand that we have boundaries too or that parents have boundaries too. So, this is where, because they're older, you're able to have conversations about it. And this is encouraging mutual respect as well, because you're showing them that just as much as I'm entitled to my boundaries, you are entitled to the same, right? And so then they can kind of draw parallels like, ah, okay, so just as much as I feel strongly about this, mom and dad feel strongly about their boundaries. So these are the types of communications which I feel a lot of us in our generation didn't have, mm. right? These are the types of things that we were not really taught. And so that's why I feel like there's a lot of adults out there who are not very good at adulting. With boundaries at adulting. <laughs> yeah, um, no, honestly, at, yeah. yeah. Yeah, there's so many people who are not very good at adulting because of that, right? Mm. So if you have a teen who um, is very particular about something, so uh, so for example, like I remember when my brother sort of hit sort of his teen years, he was very particular about privacy, right? About because you know he lived in a house with two women, he was very particular about, for example, people knocking when they come up to his room and things like that. Mm -hmm. And I remember like my mom just in remembering him as this little boy that she took care of would tend to forget certain things like this, right? And so he was very about it and so that was something that he should have been able to enforce right so whenever your teen has something that's very hold that's very dear to them they should be able to fight for it but you need to be able to stand up for your own as well so yeah when you say stand up for do you do you talk to them at some point obviously mm. not when they're upset but because mm. I remember someone t talking to me about respectful parenting, which works for mm. younger kids. Does it work mm. for teenagers? Do you tell them like, you know what you said really hurt me? Mm -hmm. Do you mm -hmm. say things like that to them or just don't do that again? What's the yeah, no, I, I still feel that, that telling your kids how you feel about certain things is encouraging, right? Because they're then being told that they can do the same. They're going around constantly feeling like adults don't understand how they feel. So when you're speaking to them in a language that is that that um, they can recognize or that they can sort of um, that they can sort of connect to, which is this sense of feeling hurt and feeling misunderstood and feeling ignored and all of that, using those types of, uh, using that language around them is something that they can click with, right? So you don't have to do the guilt trip emotional kind of like blackmail thing that some parents I do. I gave up my job for you, my <laughs> life for you, you know, and this yeah. is what you pay me with. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't, you know. I wouldn't go down that route, um, but you are definitely able to be like, hey, you know, when you did that earlier, it was just really not cool. I was really upset about it. It made me feel like you weren't respecting me and weren't, um, you weren't kind of hearing me out. That's totally fine. I was triggered. I, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, like turning it back on the parent. Right, right. Yeah. So does that encourage conversation? What if he gets even more angry? Or he or she gets more angry? Yeah, I, I've had a lot of really good conversations by having conversations, if mm. that makes any sense. Right. Like you need to have the conversation in the first place for it yeah. to get anywhere, right? Yeah, 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 absolutely. absolutely. Okay. I'm a big fan of talking to your kids. <laughs> okay, I think, I think that's, you know, like actually opening communication more and building mm. bound, healthy boundaries, um, respect, yeah. you know, mutual boundaries is what you're saying going forward. Yeah, yeah. Um, any last words on what to do if there really is a big problem? I mean, I mm. know often in Asian families, and I say because mm. I'm coming, I come from one, you know, sometimes there is a child that is allowed to uh, 
lord over the manor, as it were. And one parent doesn't see it as a problem, but the other parent does. And the other parent doesn't have the power so much, right? So what if there is a rudeness brewing Mm. That really is a big problem in the family. Mm. What What's the first thing a parent can do or should do or seek? Well, the first thing they need to do is they got to be on the same page. So we've got two parents who are parenting in different ways. You're sending mixed signals to the child, right? So the child will have one parent who feels it's not an issue. So it's kind of like having to deal with two two judges and one judge is happy to give you a slap on the wrist and the other judge is happy to, is telling you that if you do this again, we're going to punish you, but doesn't follow through either because they have no power. So you're sending your child mixed messages. So the first thing you got to do is start with a list of things that you can both mutually agree on, right? You will always have one parent that might not be as strict as the other, but there should be a set of ground rules that you both generally agree on and start there. Once your child has seen that there is a united front and there is sort of a sort of a sameness with regards to the discipline in the household, then he or she is more likely to kind of follow through. Mm. Um, consistency is also really important. So if you've decided on something being a rule, don't go wishy-washy on me. Just follow mm. through with that. That's really important. Um, and you know, I feel like nothing is too late. So even if your child is say 16 years old and he or she has been allowed to get away with, you know, talking back to mom and dad, um, and you've realized I don't want to deal with this anymore. It's still, it's still something you can work on. It's not going to be as easy as something you taught to a younger child, but it is something you can still kind of, um, say, look, you know, we've had a chat about this, this behavior is not acceptable and we will not, con- we will not con- uh, um, allow it to continue. They're going to get mad at you, but so long as you're consistent and so long as you present a united front and you continue with the consequences that you have agreed upon, they will learn after a while. Okay, just as a reminder, that window, albeit a slower uptake and processing Mm. in the change in strategies and and boundaries, is open to everybody until the age of 28. So (laughs) if you have children that you're worried you haven't actually done that with right now, you can do so. Doctor said so. (laughs) Actually, you know what? The the whole thing about feeling conflicted, about one parent saying one thing and the Mm. other parent saying the other. Mm. Mm. Actually, you know what? Even as adults, because sometimes when we get like right now, is it mm. total lockdown or is it not a total lockdown? Yes. How come some jewelers are open? How come some people are not allowed to open? We get confused. So I completely understand yeah. yep. the feeling of confusion yep. le- leading to anger sometimes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so really, really good example. I mean, th- what is happening to us, the sort of like the back and forth, the, <clears throat> the unclear information, the type of confusion it brings in us does the exact same thing to our children, yeah. right? So that's it. So some kids will react with anger. Some kids will react with sort of like, um, you know, they'll tend to kind of use it to their advantage and only, you know, try things with a more lenient parent. Mm. Um, so, you know, push the boundaries a little bit. So these are all things that the kids will do. So the first thing I always tell parents is that you have to present a united front. Even if you guys are not able to come up to this, you know, agree to the same list in 100, 100% of the time, which mm. is understandable, start with the core ones that you guys agree on because that would be easier for you to execute. Um okay. But yeah, consistency, unitedness, if that's a word. And yeah, that's the main thing you have to do. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. And I suppose, I mean, my thoughts on this now as, as we're leaving, whether or not we keep this part in or not, is the fact mm-hmm. that um, us wanting so desperately to have the outcome of peace and communication is mm-hmm. just as valid as their uh, desire for the outcome of avoiding homework. If, yes. you, if you look at it that way, it's like, you know. Yeah. The needs are yeah. all equal. Um, yeah. And There's then, always something behind the action. Yeah. yeah. 
theirs always right so it's 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 really important because they feel just as strongly we might as adults think that you know it's not that big a deal but to them the intensity is ex- is exactly the same they feel mm. just as strongly about it right and so they need to be able to feel like they can work through that not saying that just because i don't want to do my homework they should be allowed to not do their homework right but they should be allowed to express it just as much as you should be allowed to deal with it in that way you know 